today to take it in, to eat of it. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, God, that we would produce good fruit, Lord, that you, would, uh, that you bless faithfulness. God, because you are a faithful God, and Lord, when we are faithful according to your word, God, you bless us. And Lord, you have a place prepared for us. God, we pray over every heart, every soul in this place, God, that we would be ready, Lord, with a day in mind of eternity. Lord, that we know that we are faithful and little, Lord God, you will make us faithful and much. And so we pray over the service today in Jesus' name. Somebody said? Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Turn your Bibles there with me today. Uh, part of our Faith and Duty series that we're going through for the next several months. Uh, and the title of this morning's message is Mercy at the Gate. Mercy at the Gate. I believe God's going to pull something out here this morning that uh, you might not get normally just reading through it. Mercy at the Gate. Who will be beggars at the gate of heaven? I'm going to keep eternity in mind this morning. Jesus gives some words of warning to those who neglect works of mercy. We're going to talk about words of warning and works of mercy. Uh, we are called, you and I are called to open the gates of our hearts uh, to demonstrate God's mercy and welcome people into the community of faith, into our hearts. Uh, and if we don't, there's a strong warning. We might find ourselves outside the gates of heaven. So we're opening up our hearts to let people into our lives this morning. I'm going to reread this, even though we just saw this in the video. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Wouldn't you just love to joyously live in splendor every day? You know? uh, and a poor man named Lazarus was at, laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom or embrace. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw uh, Abraham far away and Lazarus in his embrace. And he called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus received his bad things. And now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, there is this great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and, those, uh, and none may cross from over there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him into my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so they'll not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Let's look at this setting here today. Picture ourselves back in the first century in Jerusalem at a rich man's house uh, and at this street. And outside of his great mansion, there is a gate going into his garden, likely. And uh, we find this man named Lazarus. And now this is not the Lazarus we see in the, re in the rest of the Bible, Jesus' friend. This is just a parable about a man named Lazarus. It was a pretty popular name. And Lazarus is a poor man. He was a beggar. We know that uh, 
He had to have someone, he was probably crippled, he had to have someone take him to this gate every day. He was covered in sores, maybe it was leprosy, we don't know. And to have those sores uh, meant that you would be unclean. A lot of times the unclean people were pushed outside of the gate. And it was a really hard thing to be poor uh, and unclean in the first century. Uh, you couldn't have ceremonial rites. You couldn't go eat with your family. Your family would not be able to touch you or be in contact with you. Uh, it would be the lowest of low of society, and it would be a society where there's no Medicaid, there's no food stamps, there's no government assistance. You just have to rely on the mercy of others uh, to get by. And so this guy has got it rough. He's got it bad. And it was even worse off was the fact that it was common belief at this time that if you had a bad deal, something bad happened to you, and you got to that place, and uh, many of us have uh, in this room can relate or know people who, once you get to that low point, it's hard to get yourself back out of that. Once you get down, it's hard to get back up again. But they believed that some fate would order you what you deserved. So if you were a good person, you should expect good things. Fate should give you good things. And if you were a bad person, then you probably deserved what you got. And so people coming by Lazarus would probably asking, well, I wonder what he did wrong. I wonder what really got him to that place. Wonder why they made those bad mistakes that led them to that point in their life. They must deserve where they are. Maybe he was an alcoholic. Maybe he abused his family. Maybe uh, he cheated people and swindled people and God cursed him and put him out there on the street. And uh, that's his life. Lazarus is living there hoping, hoping that somebody would bless him. He was crying out for mercy. But we find that he found none and he died alone with no family, no memory, no remembrance, no ceremony, no tombstone. On the other side, you got the rich man. Here's this guy. He's wealthy. He's got high status in society. People envied him, favored him. He wore these fine clothes, which said he lived in extravagance. Uh, no doubt he was comfortable and secure in his life. And every day, no doubt, he passed by Lazarus and probably many others. And he probably was thinking things like this. Well, don't I do enough just allowing him to beg at my gate. Maybe his family or friends as they came into a house, maybe some people did give Lazarus some money, some alms. Maybe they did uh, do that. And maybe it was mercy he felt that he would be able to, you know, it, it was an unclean man sitting right outside of his house. And uh, if you've ever been a store owner, you know you don't want people just hanging around the front of your store. So he could have shooed him off. He could have. So he's got, he's done enough. Maybe he's done enough. Aren't I generous enough? Maybe he gave in the offering to the temple. Maybe he paid his dues. I was thinking about this this week. And have I ever asked my, said to myself, Heath, don't you do enough? Don't you do enough? He justified his level of mercy. And Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16, He says, You justify your acts in light of men. Here's this Lazarus, and how many people have we ever met that say, well, I wonder what got them to that place? Find someone who's down there, look, they're out. Maybe they are a drug addict. Maybe they did beat their wife. Maybe they did have a problem. And you look at their life, and you find where their situation is. You're like, man, what did they do to get them to that place? And immediately our hearts kind of turn to this judgmental mode of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm justifying. I'm going to define how much mercy I'm willing to give to that person according to how they're acting. If I give them money, they're probably going to do something else with it. Or if I help them or if I bring them into my house or if I do this, I'm going to, eh, that's probably what's going to happen. They're probably going to do this. They're probably going to do that. And we find the rich man in Lazarus having this little dialogue, un unspoken dialogue. 
We don't know about Lazarus' background, and we're not, we're not meant to know, because why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But this man's heart was closed, and his gate was closed. Now, let's look at this today. We're going to talk about who are you in this parable? Are you spiritually rich, or are you spiritually poor? Are you fairly comfortable in this life, or maybe this life has been somewhat difficult for you, and you kind of favor more towards Lazarus? Maybe you're at your prime, or maybe you're down on your luck, but likely somewhere most of us are probably in between. We've got good days, we've got bad days. Good days, we've got bad days. We've got good things that happen to us in our life. Sometimes we have, and sometimes we have not. And this parable speaks to every single person, no matter where you find yourself, between Lazarus and the rich man, or somewhere in between. There are some plain truths that Jesus Christ gives us in His Word today, and there's some words of warning. Let's go through this, words of warning. There's some background here. Jesus gives us a plain truth, and uh, for those of you who maybe you're new to the faith, uh, in the Old Testament, they believe that there is this place called paradise, and it was uh, really, it's in this place called Hades. Now, these terms are interused sometimes in Scripture, but it was Sheol slash Hades is the place of the dead, and if you're in Old Testament, you would say that if you would go to the place of the dead, all the people who were dead would go to Hades or Sheol, and in this place, there was two sides. On one side is paradise, and one side is Tartarus, or just the place of the dead, the wicked. And the, dead go, the wicked dead go to one side, and the righteous dead go to the other, waiting for the Messiah. Okay? And Jesus hadn't rose from the dead yet. So we find this parable in this place of the dead. They're waiting. One is a place of wickedness, one is a place of righteousness, waiting for the Messiah to come uh, and bring them to the judgment. And so we find them in this place. And Jesus is not uh, making a theology here about hell, but there is some very real points. And the first one is that hell is real. Hell is a real place. It's nothing to joke around, and it's not a party. Hell's real. Uh, and, and God doesn't send people to hell. We send ourselves there. Some people have that struggle. Why would, God, why would a good God send people to hell? But God does not send people there. They send themselves by refusing to follow Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And so he's not teaching on the specifics here, but number one, hell is real. And the simply, we look at this, this passage and this parable, and we find that the torment of hell in this place, this isn't even the lake of fire yet, because hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. This isn't even the lake of fire. He says that it was so bad. So bad that he just desired the simplest thing in life is a drop of water. He desired just one drop of water on his tongue. That's how bad it was. Hell is real. Hell is real. It's so far beyond our comprehension, the suffering of hell. He only desired a momentary relief, but he found himself at a place with no comfort in mind. There was an eternity behind him, and there was an eternity in front of him. And in neither direction was there an ounce of comfort. Not a single ounce of hope. Hell is real. Hell's no party. And a lot of people joke around with hell, and it bothers me. And they say, oh, yeah, we're not, you know, I'll get to hell. We're going to be having a party down there because all my buddies and me, we're going to have a good time. Right? How many people have heard things like that? Hell is no joke. There will be no party in hell. There will be no fun times in hell. It is, he, this man is in hell, and he, what is he doing? He's praying. Every single sinner in hell is praying. They are praying out for one thing, mercy. 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 He finds himself praying in hell, and he's praying, he's interceding for his family. Man, what if the church began interceding for people today like people are interceding in hell? 
He is interceding for his family that would join them. And the irony here that what Jesus is pulling out, he's saying that Lazarus cried for mercy at your gate. And now you're crying for mercy at the gates of hell. The contrast here is the point of the story. Many souls today we know are praying in hell. And how many people are praying for you and me for this world to know the truth? How many souls in hell are praying for the world today to know the truth? That we, the church, have that vocal point. We have that, that platform. You and I today are the answer to those people's prayers. You and I today are the ones who have the words that we can go and tell these people's families, hey, there is a hell, there, it is no party, it is no joke. Many people crying for mercy inside the gates of hell. Number one, hell is real. Number two, we must be willing to repent. Repent, a lot of people have this on the definition. They have their own definition of, okay, repent. I come to the Lord, I ask for forgiveness, raise my hand in church, and then I, I'm good, right? Or I get some water sprinkled on me, or I go to Bible study. Repent means a change of mind and direction. It means that I leave my will, and I, I go for the will of God. And it's not going to be a perfect life. It's not going to be a life where you, uh, you find that one day you just wake up and you're good to go, and you're one of these old grandmas or grandpas who read their word every day and speak in tongues and pray like nobody else. No. It is a continual daily walk where I say, God, I'm choosing your will, your word, over my will and my word. It is a daily walk of repentance that I'm saying, God, I was going this direction in my life, but God, I'm choosing to go that direction. Even though I fail and I find myself being pulled time and again, I'm continuing to walk towards your will, your way. And that is the number two, that we must be willing to repent. Jesus said that those who love this world and its pleasures more than they love God's word, they will have no place in heaven. This rich man, he wanted, uh, he had everything, but he still wanted more. I think about America today, and especially we are the richest country in the world, or we are one of the richest countries in the world. Everyone in this room is in the top uh, 10% or, or one, 1 to 10%. I don't know what the odds of the uh, statistics are right now. Of the wealthiest people in the world, you and I. Because we have drinking water, running water, or drinking wa- clean drinking water, lights, electricity, and most of us have a car, most of us have a, a smartphone or some way to get on the internet somewhere within walking distance of our house, you know. Uh, we all have air conditioning, most of us. We are the richest people in the world, and this man had everything he could ever really want that he needed, but yet he still wanted more. How many of us in our lives could be said that, you know, I've got... I'm, I'm not dying on the street begging yet. If you are, please come see me this week, all right? We will help you. But we still want more. It's the desire that Jesus is talking about here. That sin, it doesn't satisfy. The desire for this world, it doesn't satisfy. The craving, the things for this world do not satisfy. That job will not satisfy you. That relationship will not satisfy you. That position, that authority, that reputation, that will not satisfy you. There's only one thing in this world that satisfies, and that is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. It's the only thing that satisfies that hunger, that craving. And so if we desire to be rich in this world or the wealth of this world, we know that we will be poor in the next. If that desire is what drives your life, I want a, I want a better job, I want a good reputation, I want more money, I want a better family, I want to have that house, I want to have that car, I want to be known there, I want to be a better, uh, better person in the community, I want to be known by more people, I want to have influence in this world. If that's the things that drive you, and that's the riches that you value, you can guarantee you will be poor in the next world. 
If we want to be rich in this world, we'll be poor in the next. Jesus said in Luke 6 and 12, He said, Where's your, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in Luke 12, 34. And He says, Woe to those who are rich, for you'll receive your comfort in full. Woe to those who are well fed now, because you'll be hungry then. Woe to you who laugh now, because then you'll mourn and weep. He's talking about the desires for this world or the desires for the next. Eternity in mind, keeping eternity in mind. Where are we at today? Where are you at today? Hell is real. We must be willing to repent. Number three, nothing is needed. No sign, no miracle, but faith in the Word of God. And the greatest sign is this. It is the good news that Lord God, the Father God, sent His only begotten Son to come down to earth, to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to atone for your sins, to, to take your place to trade you your sin for His righteousness, that when He died on that cross, He took death and conquered it and took death in your stead, that when He died in the grave, He took the keys of hell and the power of death back from the devil. When He raised up to new life, He rose you up with Him, and that when He comes back to claim you, His bride, who is saying, God, I want to live according to Your Word. My faith is in this thing that You've done for me and this great story of Jesus Christ. He says, that's who I'm coming back for. When He comes back for you, for you, He will seat you at the right hand with Him of the Father, and you will live with Him in His presence for all of eternity. That is the good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing you need to know to make heaven your home. There is no sign. There's no miracle. If you can't believe that story in simple faith, childlike faith, there's no amount of preaching I could do. There's no amount of laying on of hands and pushing people down on the altar we could do. You could run around this church 14 times with a shofar. It would not matter if you don't have that right here. There's no, we don't have to go to a great crusade. We don't have to have Billy Graham or Benny Hinn. It's just simple faith. And Jesus Christ. And those are the three things that Jesus lays out in this story just for us today. The simple truth of the matter is hell is real. It's no party. It's no joke. Repentance is necessary. It's a turning of, a turning of direction. And number three, that there's only one thing. And that's faith in the Word of God, Jesus Christ, that saves us. There's no pedigree. I think of this man. He cries out, Father Abraham, because he was a spiritual descendant. But he wasn't that spiritual one. He was that physical descendant, but he wasn't that spiritual one. He says, Abraham was a man of faith. He didn't rely on a religious position, but it was his faith that justified him before God. And we can cry out, God, but I went to church. God, but I paid my tithes. God, but I, I, I didn't cuss. God, I gave up drinking. God, I, I didn't watch porn. Or God, I didn't talk about all my uh, sisters or my employees or my boss. God, I, did, I, I even gave to charity. I, gave, I fed that homeless person once, God. All the pedigrees and all the bragging rights we could, none of that will make any difference at heaven's gate. It is simply faith and the blood of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. And did I believe in that faith enough? Do I have enough faith to turn from my will to God's will? It's that simple. There's nothing else. I don't care if you watch TV, if you celebrate Halloween, or if you dress this way or that way. It is simply, God, I believe enough to turn from my will to your will. That's the bad news. And the good news. That's the rough part. You ready for the good stuff? Works of mercy. The guy's gate was closed. 
His heart was closed, his gate was closed, and then we come over here and Jesus gives these words of warning. It's just this simple. He's telling these religious Pharisees, guys, heaven is hell or real. There's a life and death situation here. You've got to repent. You've got to believe. It doesn't matter what you see or don't see. It's just this simple. And he says to us, the church, there's got to be works of mercy. Works of mercy. Let's talk about this gate. God was speaking to me this week about this. I'm like, God, this is pretty simple. This is kind of one of those scary stories, and it's kind of odd that Halloween was yesterday. Those who want to get scared, come read this, you know, because uh, this is the real stuff, right? Everybody will meet to this day. You want to talk about fear, there's a holy fear in this. And I'm like, God, what is, there's something here. There's something missing. What, what really is going on here in this story? And then the Lord kind of spoke gate. Look at the gate. Now, let me, let me talk to you about something here. This gate. Gates allowed access. Now, that makes sense, right? Duh, it's a gate. Allowed access into cities and, and these wealthy homes like this. And it was the... Um, a gate represented power. When we say, the gates of hell shall not prevail. You ever heard that verse before? That means the power of hell or the gates of heaven or the gates of the city. He holds the key to the city. We do that a lot of times and cut the ribbon, you know, and mayors get the key to the city. It means the power, the influence, the prestige, the honor, the victory of that city, right? Uh, and so the gate represented power. Not only that, but at the gate, a few things happened. Uh, one was a proclamation. A lot of times, the message of the gospel or the prophets of old would come and they would preach at the gate. So there was proclamation that often happened at the gates. Theological debates and the, the gospel was often preached through the prophets at the gate. And so you got the proclamation part. So you got power, you got the proclamation. And the next thing was justice. At the gates, that was kind of the courthouse. That's where the elders debated different things. Uh, cases were tried and decided at town gates, city gates. And so you would see justice was given at people's gates. Not only that, you see that uh, community. In a city, these small towns in Jerusalem, or, or sorry, in Israel, the gates would, would define the city. You know, the gates were the entry points. And those that would cross through the threshold of the gate... Uh, they would be afforded the same rights as a citizen. So if you were a traveling person, and before nightfall, before the marauders came, you would go in rush and try to get into the city gate. And then once you got into the city gate, there was an element of ancient hospitality that would be given to you. And you would be welcomed in as one of the citizens. Somebody would harbor you, somebody would feed you, and you would come under the same judicial rights as those people. Same thing is true with a house. If someone comes into your house... And they come through your threshold, your gate. You are expected to welcome them in with, as one of your own family members. Your servants would wash their feet. They would feed them. They would give them the best spot at the table. They would honor them. They would offer them a place to stay. They would give them the best portion of the meat and potatoes that Sunday dinner. I mean, that was what the courtesy was. That was what the culture was. And I look at this and I say, God, he didn't let him in his gate. He didn't let him in his gate. He closed his gate. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 tells us that we are called to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And mercy means this. It's compassion given to someone who you have the power to punish. I'm going to say that again. Mercy is compassion given to someone who you have the power to punish. But it's not just punish but to withhold good things. This man probably walked by this guy, Lazarus, every day. 
And he's rich. He's wealthy. He had ability. He had talent. He had skill. He had things that God had given him for a purpose. And he walks by this guy every day, probably thinking to his heart, I'm not denying him. I'm not, I'm not causing him pain. I'm not uh, punishing him. But it was the sin of omission where he neglected mercy. See, you and I have an influence on this world. God has given the church power and influence and authority. You, yourself, God has given you everything you need to succeed in His God-given call for your life. Whether it be talents, the time, the treasure, the ability that God has called you to. And you have received power. Power from God on high. The Holy Spirit in you. You have power. You have influence. Who is within your reach? You see, your gate is reaching so many people today. You have so many people in your life that God says that you can affect, that you can reach, that you can talk to, that you can have a relationship with, that you can affect change in their life. And He says, I've called you to proclaim something. I've called you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and that, that to do justice. That means to those that are oppressed, that are depressed, that are oppressed, that are disadvantaged, discouraged, dis- disheartened, all the dis they've been dissed to the world, can't diss them anymore. I've called you to bring justice. When the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy, I've called you to breach justice. God's saving day is here. God's Son has come. The King of kings and Lord of lords has proclaimed justice. He says, I want you to love mercy, and you are to welcome them into your hearts, into your homes, your gate. Who can you reach out to? Who is outside of your gate of influence, your power of influence, that you could bring into your life, into your heart, and affect change? You and I have a gate. We have a reach of power, influence, and ability. And there are the helpless that are out there today. There are the hopeless that are out there today. There are those that are the Lazaruses. Lazarus was a man, and his name simply means, God is my help. God is my help. Nobody else would help him. What an appropriate name for Jesus to choose for this parable. Nobody else. He found no other help but in God alone. And Lazarus comes, and nobody helped him but God. And this rich man could have thought he was, wouldn't have never thought I'm punishing Lazarus. I'm just simply going by. But he declined him mercy. He let him suffer. And he justified his actions day after day after day. And so in some, he denied him justice. He denied him mercy because he did not use his power to clean up his streets, to influence his streets. Proverbs fourteen twenty one says, He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. You see, God had given Israel a solution Deuteronomy chapter 14 through 15, God lays out some things that He said, you know, the poor is always going to be with you. I'm going to speak spiritually and physically here if you follow with me. God, the poor is always going to be with you, but I'm going to give you some things and for the Old Testament, this nation that God had raised up to be a mighty nation under God, a, a kingdom of priests, a holy people set apart for God's possession. He says, I'm going to give you some things. If you obey me, I'll make your life fruitful. The poor may always be with you, but if you obey me, you're going to have a job. If you obey me, your crops are going to increase. If you obey me, I'm going to protect your family. I'm going to build a wall of angels around your city. There's nothing that's going to hurt you. If you be faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. And in Deuteronomy, he lays out some things. He said, in order for that faithfulness to come, he said, one, there's a tithe that I want you to give. So God told the Old Testament Israelites, he said, hey, 10% of your money or your, your crops, go and just 
throw it into the fire, give it up to God. And it was a giveaway. I was like, well, that doesn't make any more sense. Couldn't I invest that in the bank, God? No, he said, I want you to give away one because I want you to remember that it's me who provides for you, not you. You've got to trust me enough to give it up, sacrifice it, break it. It wasn't just money to them. It was a goat. It was crops and everything. Go and burn it. 10% every year. Go and burn it. Because I want you to remember, tithing, it's not about giving. It's about trusting. Ooh. It's not about giving. It's about trusting. God's got you. That's what it means. I trust God more than I trust this world, the rain, the economy, the good or the bad, my boss or the company that I work for. I trust God. So I give to God. That's what he says. That's the heart I want you to have. And he said, number two, I want to give something else. He says, on the third year, I want you to give that tithe to the strangers, the orphans, the widows, and God's house, the disadvantaged. I want you to give to the Levites, the strangers, the poor, the widows. I want you to give to the disadvantaged in your community every third year. Make sure that the disadvantaged know that the people of God, that, that, that they have a people, that we take care of the disadvantaged around us. And he said, on the third, I want you to always give to those who ask you in need. Don't ever neglect giving to people. He says, I want you to just grace upon grace, just flood the streets with grace. And he says, then every seventh year, every seventh year, so the third year, give to the streets, just, just lavish on the disadvantaged, those that are out there that have nothing, that they don't have what you have, just give to those that need mercy, just lavish them with grace and mercy. And then on the seventh year, I want you to just uh, free everybody of all the debt. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Woo! Would the government would just free all the debt in America every seven years? Uh, we'd probably be in a lot of trouble. But he said, free all the debt. He said, even if someone comes on the sixth year, and they know in the seventh year they're going to ask for like, you're asking you for like $10,000. And then you know that you have to free them of the debt every seventh year. He said, don't even neglect them. He said, even if they ask you right before you have to free everybody's debt, just do it anyway. I want you to have such a liberal heart of giving. I want you to have a heart of grace and mercy. And why? Because he says in Deuteronomy 15, he says, because while you are a slave of Egypt, I freed you. You and I have a call just the same today. And I'm not talking about a percentage or how much you give or it's not about even money. It's that I have to have a call that says, God, at my gate, at my power of influence, does it look like the gate of heaven? Does it have a gate of mercy, that it's a, a gate of power and authority that is coming from God on high? And Lord, at my gate, there would be found justice and mercy. Lord, that when I give, I give liberally. God, when I can serve, I serve uh, wholeheartedly. God, when I lead, I lead with authority because, God, you have called me to reflect the gates of heaven. God, you have said that I should trust you and then I'll be fruitful. God, I should obey you and my life would be provided for. God, I should trust you and, Lord, you would make the walls of protection around my home. God, I could welcome these people in and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give mercy. I'm going to be a person of mercy. Even if I know I could look at that person and say, what led you to get to that point? Why are you acting that way? Why shouldn't you do better? If you would just do this, then your life would be better. No, I just give mercy. Why? Because the Bible says that while I was still a sinner and in prison with the devil's legions and on a destination to hell, while I was still sinning, I didn't even know about God, didn't hear about God, couldn't hear Him or look at Him if I wanted to, but God rescued me from the powers of death and hell while I was still a sinner. Jesus Christ died for me. He said, while you were a slave in Egypt, I brought you out. That's why you give. That's why you show mercy because we were first 
found to be mercified by God. We, he showed mercy to us. He first showed mercy to us. You know, church, we are the solution to the problems of this world. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not the government. I said this last week. It's not the government. It's not Medicaid, not Medicare, not food stamps. It's not job security. It's not better economy. It's not an absence of war. The church is the solution to the world. God has given His church all the power you need. He says that the kingdom of heaven or hell will not prevail. I give, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. The Holy Spirit came down in power in, the chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 2. And you and I as representatives of Christ have a calling to preach that good news, that proclamation that God's justice has come to this earth. That we have an obligation, we have a duty in faith to show justice at our gate to those who have no power or ability to use our power, our ability to affect change in this world. We have everything we need. We have all the power we need. We have all the prophetic gifts we need. And if we're willing, we'll have His heart of mercy. If we are willing, we'll have His heart of mercy. Open up your gate. Open up your gate. God is calling us to open the gate of your life and my life, our hearts, to say, God, who is out there in the street who's crying for mercy? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. There's a spiritual mercy we're talking about this morning. Jesus said when He came uh, in Luke, He said, man, I, I've come, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He's anointed me to speak. And it's a few things. He, he goes on, He says, that He is called to give this proclamation of good news to the poor in spirit, freedom to those who are imprisoned by sin, to open the eyes of those who have been blinded by Satan. And that same commission is the same commission He gave to His disciples in Matthew 28 to go and preach the gospel, to do the same things that He was called to do on this earth. That is to look for people who are poor in spirit, Look for the people to give mercy to who are poor in spirit, who don't have the... They know that they've got to that place in their life where they're like, this world is not giving me the answers that I thought it was. Or find the people who are bound into sin and they're captive by the things of this world and they, they're tired of it, they're sick of it, they're ready to, for a change in life, but they don't know how to do it and they lack the power to achieve it. Or find the people in this world who are blinded and they keep finding themselves eating out of the same slop every time. And we're to go to show mercy, spiritual mercy to those people and say, look, the King has come and He has freed you. Jesus Christ has shown mercy. I'm going to be His representative. I'm going to use the power and ability, the, the uh, level of influence that God has given to me because I don't want to live with any regrets. I don't know about you. The greatest need of any soul is spiritual truth. Prophets preach at the gate. You and I are supposed to be preaching at our gate of the hope and the justice in Jesus Christ because hell is real and it's no joke. It's no joke. And I want to live with such an awareness that God has called me to give spiritual mercy, to use the power of the Holy Spirit that He has called me. The Some of you are thinking today, well, I, uh, I don't have those things. I don't have power or ability. I don't... I don't have anything to give. I don't, I, I don't have any money. I've already given. I don't even have a job right now. What can I give God? Or, 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 or you just begin to think all these things. You know, the devil has put so many people down for so long. All the power you need is in Jesus Christ. You could all, the gifts 
the, uh, the gifts of heaven, the treasures of heaven are at your disposable. You don't need the wealth and the things of this physical world to achieve mighty things for the kingdom of God. That's just a tangent. Because I want you to know, somebody in this place, you're, you're thinking, I don't know what I can do. No. You have heaven on your side. God has got a victory plan for His church. We just got to have faith to do it. Spiritual mercy, now physical. You know, Jesus, when He preached the gospel, to, He fed the people. Miracle of the five loaves. Sometimes, to effect a spiritual change, we also have to show a physical, or a physical change, a physical need. It's hard to tell someone, uh, like James would say, you know, it's like, hey, there's a person out there homeless in the street and who's dying on the side of the road, and you say, hey, Lord bless you, He loves you, and we just keep on walking. That ain't really showing the love of God. You can't just be so spiritual and not have a physical relationship, and that, that has to come together. And so Jesus preached a lot on physical mercy. Matthew 25, 40, As you have done to the one of the least of these, you've done it to me. He talks about the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. And even Proverbs says, If we shut our ear to the poor, God will shut His ears to us. Listen, church. If we shut our ear to the poor, we're the richest people in the world, this verse is for us. If we shut our ear to the poor, God will shut His ear to us. If we lend to the poor and needy, however, we realize we are lending to the Lord, Proverbs 19, and He will repay us. When we lack compassion for people in this world, we, in a sense, shut heaven's door in our own face. It's just that simple. It's a spiritual and a physical thing that when we lack compassion, we shut those out uh, from. We shut ourselves out from God. We thinking, God, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I want to look at that. I don't want to get to that place because. But God is saying, Hey, you better be careful because I believe hell is a real place. God knows hell is a real place, and He's saying, This is a serious thing. Open up the gates of your heart. Let God bless people through you. Let God uh, save people through you. May He preach through you. May He extend your influence. May He bring justice and mercy uh, through you into this world to show this world that God is real, that hell is hot, and that the King has made a way for people to know Him. You know, the interesting thing is too, I'm going to get ready to close. The gates were the most vulnerable part of the entire city. It's where they would, that was the door. And for you and I to affect change in people's lives, it may take a getting a little bit of risk there. Maybe getting a little bit vulnerable. One, we got to get off of our high horse sometimes and get down in the dirt with people. Sometimes it may be sacrificing more than I thought I could. Sometimes it may be speaking into someone's life when I'm not comfortable or I don't think I have all the words to, to accept that challenge from God. Or it may be saying, God, I don't know if I can bring this person into my home. God, I don't know if I have the financial resources to provide for that person's need or to help them in some certain way. God is going to begin. He says, if you're faithful, if you're faithful with, with little, I know that you can be faithful with much. I will open up the floodgates of heaven. He says, if you obey my word, you will be fruitful. You will be blessed. And we know that it's better to give than to receive. And the Bible promises in Luke that it could be pressed down and shaken together, running over because you are a person who God knows He can trust with that mercy. And I'm not just talking about finances this morning, church. Sometimes some people just need a hug. Sometimes we need to stop what we're doing in our work and see that coworker who has a need and just go minister to them. 
Sometimes it's that person that we need to see on the side of the road and we're going to that fast food restaurant and on our way out there's homeless people. We ought to buy them something to eat. Lord, forgive me for not having so much mercy. Who cares what they did with their life or where they come from or what they're going to do with it? Be merciful because your Father has been merciful to us, right? God, help us to be a church, to be a representative. When The world is turning to the government and man for answers. That we stand here before heaven and hell and say, God, we have the answers. It's going to make eternal difference with people. And they're looking to man and Republicans and Democrats and the government and, and all these things to find a solution of peace in their life. They're looking for a job or a relationship or security. And here we are. We stand at the gate of heaven and hell. And the keys are to us. And God is saying, church, be merciful. Because there are people standing at your gate If they don't hear it from you, they're not going to hear it. If they don't see your power from God on high, influence through your life, the Holy Spirit has been promised in power. Power to have influence in this world. And sometimes we just look at that power and that big gate and we go into our nice churches and our nice cars and our nice air-conditioned room and we look and there is a world that is dying without Jesus Christ. You know, our influence, with this year we were able to influence the country of Belize. Sometimes people think, oh, what influence do I have? We have an influence around the world, church. Every week, every month we send money overseas to a dozen missionaries to affect change, global change, because you were faithful with what little you had. But it's not just financial. There are people in your families, there are people in your, your hearts and your jobs who are crying out for mercy. They're saying, Would you just open the door of your heart? Would you open the door of your life to give mercy of Jesus Christ? Uh, Dad, you can come up. Mercy at the gate. We're going to be Christ-focused today. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Why do you think Jesus has made you rich today? Is it to keep it all to ourselves? Or is it so we could have mercy at our gate? Christ has opened the gates of heaven. And those who repent and have faith, he says, come on in. Perhaps you're here today and you identify with Lazarus. And you say, Pastor Heath, I know God is my only help. All I have is in Jesus. And you, you know you're today, you're, maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're going through a rough time. Just like Lazarus, I want you to know that you can trust God with your everything. He's going to be your advocate, your provider. The scripture says in Hebrews 4 that because you have faith in Him, you can boldly come to His throne and receive mercy and grace when you need it most. You know if you received His mercy, you're going to receive your eternal reward just like Lazarus. Maybe you're going through that time, you're in that place, and you say, God, you are my help. Revelation tells us that if even in suffering, if we are faithful until death, God will give us the crown of life. Faithful. Because God is my help. Lazarus, God is my help. Or perhaps today God is speaking to you through the rich man. And when you stand at that gate of heaven, what will Jesus say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. 
Do I desire comfort in this world more than comfort in the next? Who's within your power of your gate today? Who's within your influence? Does your life, your gate, your home reflect the mercy and justice of God? And are there people that we are walking by every day that we neglect to proclaim that message? Are our hearts opened to the lost and the less fortunate?